0: Thank you. I don't know if you guys noticed the angle of my camera is different. I am in the process of moving out of my mom's, and my desk is gone. So, you know, usually it's like, you know, higher, and now it's down here in my lap. It's all I can do. I don't have a desk anymore. So, pardon the change in angle. Hope it doesn't bother anybody. Um, so, we're here for uh, seven steps to awakening and out of the stillness. And, um, it looks like I'm probably starting with number 94 today. I have the page folded down there, so I'm gonna assume that's right. <laughs> um so what I'm gonna do is start by reading quote number 94 out of the seven steps to awakening. Um And, oh, it's a really long, long quote. (laughs) It says, the answer is not in words. How's that for a really long quote? The answer is not in words. So we'll look at my contemplation of that quote
1: and out of the stillness. Uh, The answer
0: is not in mind. Therefore, the answer is not in understanding concepts. Cease all attempts to understand. Be happy not understanding. Be happy not understanding truth. Be happy not understanding your feelings, your actions, your experiences. When one is happy not understanding, one loses interest in interpretation which is the mind's feeble attempt to understand. So, uh, you know, one of the things I've looked at in the last year only is some of Dr. David Hawkins' teachings. I think I was looking at them uh, last summer primarily. And and in fact, I, I was so enamored with some of the teachings that I wrote the Inspired Clarity Retreat, which ended up being our fall retreat last year, and then we offered it again online in January or February of this year. You know, I just really loved some of those teachings. I loved the way he expressed some things. I loved what his um, different vibrational levels show. Um, but there's one. Teaching that I discovered with Dr. David Hawkins that, at least in me, does not feel 100% correct. Uh, And that is the teaching around, I forget the names of the different levels. It might be reason, might be the level he calls it. It's level 400 to level 500. And level 400 to level 500 appears to be. Uh, when a person is really enamored with the spiritual concepts. Um, And, you know, one of the things Dr. David Hawkins says about that level is that in order to progress on up to 500 and above, which are really where you're getting into the levels of enlightenment, you need to transcend those concepts. You need to transcend being enamored with concepts. That part I agree with. What I don't agree with is that uh, when you're in that intellectual stage that you're at level 400. <laughs> That's the part I don't agree with. Um, I have seen people enamored with intellectual concepts very caught up in that phase when I would say they're actually below 200 still. Uh, so uh, if I was to redraw His model, based on my experience, and again, his experience was different. So we'll let his model be the way it is for him. But based on my experience, I would probably have like, you know, zero to 200, two to 300, and then maybe three to 500, with 400 being on the side. What he calls 400 being on the side, the intellectual piece. So, like, you could be here and here at the same time, or here. And here at the same time, we're here and here at the same time. But what you can't do is go to five hundred until you until you've transcended concepts. So I guess what I'm saying is I see people caught up in the concepts at all of the forgive the term lower levels, right? Uh, so so that's the part that was a little different for me. But I absolutely agree with him that you cannot go into level five hundred. And the levels above, if you're still attached to concepts. Um, What's really interesting to me, and I know you've probably heard me say this before, is that as I have become, for lack of better words, more awake, I actually know less. Isn't that funny? I remember once when I was sitting around the table with someone and they were talking about enlightenment as if we all knew back then. (laughs) And somebody made a comment, uh, which I didn't disagree with at the time. I didn't know any different. Is that, you know, once you become enlightened, you know everything. You're like Einstein. You have access to all of the information that there is and you just know and understand everything. Uh, That's not true. Uh, It's much more knowing nothing and being very happy, knowing nothing. In fact, one of my favorite songs is uh, the fool on the hill by the Beatles, right? It's much more that, you know, for example, on Sunday night, some of you may already know that I on Sunday night, I announced this is going to be my last clarifying the teachings. But what I also told you is I knew that five minutes before the teaching started, you know, Like just in time, knowing I did not have any idea whatsoever that I was going to stop teaching that until it was time for me to know it and to do it. (laughs) You know, so what happens is as we wake up more, we become very, very happy, not knowing, uh, very, very happy, not understanding all of the deep, concepts conceptual truths of the world Uh, very happy not understanding even what you know this body what what we are going to be doing next or what's going to happen in the future or or what we're going to say in a teaching or in a conversation or anything and in fact i'm sure you all are familiar with this term nti calls it being the empty shell Right. If you look at NTI, First Corinthians, it's all about moving into this state where you don't need to know anything, right? Where you're just the empty shell. And then, of course, whatever you need to know, it's kind of like it comes in, it's fed to you in real time. Um, So that is more and more and more my experience. The not knowing, the emptiness is more and more and more my experience. So if I read this again, uh, from out of the stillness, after having said that, uh, the answer is not in mind. Therefore, the answer is not in understanding concepts. Cease all attempts to understand. Now, remember, when I was writing this book, I was writing to myself. This was a personal journal. So, when I say cease all attempts to understand, I'm talking to me. You know, so at this particular phase in my own journey, I had not transcended the, the stage of being enamored with intellectual concepts. I had not transcended the stage of thinking somehow realization came through understanding, Right. I had not transcended that yet. And so, what I'm doing is, I'm, I'm giving myself guidance here as I contemplate. Cease all attempts to understand. Be happy not understanding. Be happy not understanding truth. Be happy not understanding your feelings, your actions, your experiences. When one is happy not understanding, one loses interest in interpretation, which is the mind's feeble attempt to understand. So again, teaching myself through my own journal, teaching myself that understanding is not the same as seeing. Understanding is not even the same as knowing. I need to be really happy not understanding. I need to be really happy Um, not knowing with the mind. Right. And then anything I need will be given kind of reminds me of a a story. This story is about money, but kind of reminds me of a story from the Bible where uh, Jesus and the apostles were watching. They were in the temple. I assume praying, I don't know if it says, but they were in the temple. And while they were there, people were coming and making donations. And you could literally see people making donations. And you could see all of these rich men coming and making these very, very large donations. And then there was this one old woman, this poor old woman who came in and made a very tiny donation, like equal to about two pennies, a very tiny donation. And as they were leaving the temple, the apostles were kind of talking about being impressed with these huge donations that these rich people made. And Jesus said, you know, not to be impressed with that, that the rich people, although they made very sizable donations, they didn't give away anything they couldn't afford to give away. You know, they knew they they still had plenty of money left for themselves. But that that woman who only made this two penny donation, right, that was everything she had. You know when she donated that 2 pennies she gave everything away and she put herself completely in God's hands. This is what we do when we choose to be happy with not knowing. This is what we do. When we choose to be happy with not knowing, we place ourselves completely In God's hands. And where we really try to hold on to control, even though, you know, holding on to money certainly is one way we try to hold on to control or a sense of safety. Control and a sense of safety is the same thing. Another way that we try to hold on to control is by understanding, by thinking we know, by having it all figured out, or at least in the process of figuring it out, right? So, if we're willing to give that up, then we're placing ourselves completely in God's hands, and uh, and that's where enlightenment comes from, right? You can't be in control, or at least a trying to control this this and its its experience, and be enlightened too. Right? You have to let go of this in order to be enlightened. And so when you step into that pure not knowing, which really is pure surrender, and 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 just trust that, not needing to understand anything, then you're really making yourself available for what God has to give, which is enlightenment. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to pause and see if anybody has anything they want to say or ask before I move on to number 95, which is the next one that's circled. case uh I saw Sina first so Sina first and then after that Lena
1: um I was thinking about this and it's so funny
2: because I was thinking about it recently about Dr. David R. Hawkins levels of consciousness and how you said that the level of understanding really doesn't apply to you but I've listened to your teachings and I think you were at the level of understanding for a long long time uh I recently had uh some insights about different ways the ego was trying to take over this one and hold me uh, in its grip via the belief that um, I am my emotions. And so that understanding feels like uh, a little bit of a leap for me because as soon as I disidentify from those emotions and know I'm not that, that feels like, and understanding. And I've listened to a lot of your different teachings and it feels like from the very beginning. So I love what you said today, that how the understanding can be simultaneous to those levels. And that really makes sense because every time we have a seeming insider breakthrough or aha, it's that level of understanding and it pops us up or maybe pops us through. And yes, I totally get it and understand how the concepts are the blocks because they're still of the mind and we're not the mind. So as long as we're identified as the mind, that is the block. So of course, you're not going to go any higher if you're identified with that level. So thank you for that clarification. (laughs) It's not clarifying the teachings, but it felt like it.
0: Well, and 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 actually, I think, you know, I remember talking about this and clarifying the teachings. And when I said that that level didn't apply to me, that's because I had not yet pulled it out in my mind and put them together. So what I meant was I didn't go. I mean, I did go. I could see myself going up through the other levels, but then I didn't see myself going through this pure level of concept, you know, like I, I didn't pass through that level. But if you take it out and put it side by side. Then you're right. I was in it the whole way up, you know, and then I transcended together. So that just fits with my experience, Better Sina. So thank you. Um,
1: Lena. Uh, hello, hello, everyone. Hello,
3: dear Regina. Let me, uh, if. Uh, uh, I was a little bit late. I had an emergency. and uh, But you were talking about what is bothering me for quite a while. On the retreat, uh, I mentioned to you uh, that I had groups. And uh, I canceled them because I was reading Gadada Maharaj and I realized that uh, it's all about was uh, just blah, blah, blah. Then uh, I read it, continue to read about that we don't need uh, that knowledge and how you mentioned understanding uh, because who uh, was said uh, that if you are un- uneducated, you are full, but if you are educated, you are educational fool right <laughs> Who, who's educated so I don't remember from whom I read and uh, I feel it uh, that uh, with uh, all my knowledge I'm reading Ramana I'm um, studying uh, you I'm studying uh, others uh, a course and miracles am I continue to entertain my mind Maybe I need to stop to do everything and just start to listen my inner guide and draw myself into intuition you suggested uh, and uh, I went uh, through the direct pathway uh, to bliss or what uh, I love it but he is also telling about that we need to go to direct experience not entertain our mind please can you tell me what you think
0: Yeah, I can tell you what I think. (laughs) Um, First of all, you know, I don't think my own path could have been different than it was. So in other words, I don't think I could have let go of intellectual concepts until I let go of intellectual concepts. Um, You know, it just happened when it happened. And to be honest, I can't even point to the day when it happened. But I think that when we are contemplating spiritual teachings, there can be something else going on at the same time, and that's what we want to look for. I think one of the, you know, the words always fail, but I think one of the good ways to say this is, in a way, we don't wake ourselves up. Um, Something beyond us, something beyond the person is what wakes us up. Something beyond the person in some way that we can't even begin to understand says yes for us. And when we're sitting in contemplation, if if your contemplation is not trying to mentally understand, but just being with what you're contemplating, what's happening is you are sinking into devotion. You are sinking into this something else that actually wakes us up. And you're spending time in that and spending time in that, immersed in that, whatever you want to call it, I think is the most helpful thing we can do. So uh, I wouldn't put away the books necessarily. Uh, What I would do is watch how I use the books. Right, so when am I reading the books, trying to intellectually understand and, and and make a map up here in my head of what these masters are telling me, or am I just being with the information, just sinking in it, just being still, and certainly insights are going to arise that does happen, but it's still it's coming from a different source, it's different than trying to figure it out up here, so I wouldn't throw away the books, what I would do is be very careful to follow my guidance into the books it leads me into, right? Rather than trying to read everything. Like there's this, you know, uh, the ego has this sense of lack in it. And so it always thinks it's the next book that's going to give me whatever I'm lacking. And that's not true. So when we're reading from that sense of lack or going to teachers or retreats from that sense of lack, we're following the wrong guide. But But then, you know, our right-mindedness, our, our, our devotion can lead us into the places where we need to set and marinate so it can work on us. And most definitely, um, I would follow it into those places. So does that answer your question? Yes. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: All right. Is that you, Andy, sitting there in the dark? It is you. Hi. <laughs> All right, then. Um, Let's move on to the next quote that I have circled, which is number 95. It's a little longer. Number 95 in the seven steps to awakening says, some events. Oh, this is, listen to this, Lena. This is almost what I just told you in a way. Some events purify the mind and some stain it. Now there's more to the quote, but what purifies the mind is setting in that devotion What stains the mind is reading with the intellectual mind, trying to figure it out, you know? (laughs) So some events purify the mind and some stain it. Moments of deep insight and all embracing love purify the mind. Isn't that what we just talked about? Moments of deep insight and all embracing love purify the mind. While desires and fears, envies and anger, Blind beliefs and intellectual arrogance, that's the the trying to understand, the intellectual arrogance, pollute and dull the psyche. So let me read this again. Some events purify the mind and some stain it. Moments of deep insight and all-embracing love purify the mind, while desires and fears Envies and anger, blind beliefs, and intellectual arrogance pollute and dull the psyche. So, number 95 in Out of the Stillness
1: says Devotion
0: purifies the mind by pulling it into the heart. Therefore, Time spent in devotion each day is valuable to awakening. Allow this most precious time each day. Reduce to elimination time spent in ego-feasting activities, such as meaningless conversational chatter and meaningless mind-wandering or mind and personality focus. Ego feasting activities go counter to awakening. And so they are not wanted now. So again, if I'd known this was coming next, when Lena asked her question, I could have just said, well, let's go to the next quote. (laughs) Because the answer was right here. Um, My mom and I had an interesting conversation this morning. We were sitting having coffee, and I commented to her how easy it is to sit and do nothing in the morning, you know, the early morning. And I said, Of course, you know, at some point in the day, I find myself, my body really ready to get up and go do whatever has to be done. But, you know, there are long periods of times in the morning where I can do nothing. Now, that nothing is typically contemplation and meditation, but just sitting in a chair. Um, doing nothing. And it's, it's magnificent. Uh, And I said, you know, and she said, me too. Of course, she does nothing in the morning. Yeah. Like she uh, maybe plays a word game on her phone or something. She's not in meditation or contemplation, but she said, me too. She said, I can, you know, sit here for at least a couple of hours before I want to get up and do anything. And I said, you know why I think that is mom. I said, I think that's when we're supposed to be in prayer. I think it's built into us that the early mornings are for prayer. And prayer is the word I used with her. And I said, so our body is very happy, not rushing in the morning. Our body is very happy doing nothing in the morning because that's our God time. And I said, then when it's time to get up, that's time for us to go on to what other purposes our life has. And uh, the reason I bring that up is even though I spend every morning you know, in meditation and contemplation. uh, It had never occurred to me before that that was natural. That most humans, even if they're not using the time well, would prefer not to get up and have to rush in the morning. Is that true? Right? Yeah. It's like it's built in not to want to have to get up and rush. Like we kind of all would like to have some slow time. In fact, my daughter, Is not a morning person at all, has never been a morning person, still gets up half an hour earlier than she would have to to rush out the door just because she doesn't want to rush. She wants to have half an hour to sit. Now, again, she sits and plays on her phone. Um, But there's something built into us that wants to sit in the morning. And I never really looked at it that way until this morning. I thought, isn't that cool that it might actually just be built into us? to use the morning for God. And whether we do or whether we don't, you know, it happens for some people, it doesn't happen for others, but we all just still might have that built in where there's something in us that wants to be still in the morning. And if that's true, you know, this is just a theory, of course, but if that's true, what if we started using that time for what it's for, right? What if we start, instead of playing on our phones or watching TV or like in the olden days, Guys would get up, not women, because, you know, this is when guys went to work and women didn't. (laughs) But in the olden days, guys would get up and read the paper before they went to work, right? They were taking that sitting still time before they went to work. That was traditional American behavior. So what if we just see that morning time when we really have a calling to be slow and be still and not move as our prayer time? And we use it for that. And then when the body naturally gets up and goes into the day, well we trust that too, right? Okay, this is you near know, the body. This body has things it's supposed to do, so so I'll go do that. But so it's not an obligation to give time to God. It's nature. Right? It's nature. Okay, Lena, go ahead.
3: You are absolutely right. You can <laughs> it uh, by your intuition. I studied uh, Veda uh, before I found you. And uh, I can tell that the Hinduism, where the, they are much closer to the concept what we are studying uh, right now. Uh, and uh, this is called biorhythm. By a, by a and uh, they have a degree, three levels. Uh, first, it's ignorance, then it's passion, where the majority of people and the highest level is grace. And the, the time throughout the day is also divided by that. So they actually even tell it in their uh, Veda books uh, that uh, I believe from uh, four or three, something like that, I think from four till eight, it's a great time. Mm-hmm. And in that time, it's uh, you're supposed to pray. You supposed to breathe even when I was telling Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And when you are breathing, it's and, uh, even air is different. There is more eons, and you become healthier. Uh, then from eight till six, it's a passion time where you supposed or from nine. From nine till six, it's a uh, passion time where you're supposed to work, where your brain is working till maximum and you can do a lot of uh, stuff more efficiently if you will do it, for example, after six. And from six uh, till 11 or till 12, it's ignorance time when you're supposed Uh to rest, be with people, not not with people, but be with your family and give uh, uh, love and uh, care. So you are completely Right,
0: well, I've never heard that before. That, but that perfectly describes how I live my life. So, uh, evening is definitely family time. That's when I'm cooking dinner. We're eating together. You know, we're walking the dog together. Maybe watching a bit of TV together. Right, evening is the family time. Absolutely. Yeah. So, thank you very much for for sharing that. Yeah, so, sure. so, uh, another thing I want to bring out, besides the fact that that may just be natural, I mean, this is how we're wired, and, 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 and some of us are taking advantage of it, and some of us aren't. But another thing I wanted to bring out again, and this is also very deep in the Inspired Clarity Retreat, a big part of what Dr. David Hawkins states that I just loved, is, again, that we, meaning in the we in this sentence is really the ego, We do not wake ourselves up. It's something beyond us that wakes us up, right? The ego doesn't wake itself up, not that it ever wakes up, but the ego doesn't wake itself up. It's something beyond us that wakes us up. And so we need to spend time in that, right? We need to let it work on us. I remember once a long time ago, this is before I really uh, even to my knowledge, began hearing Holy Spirit. So a very long time ago, I was a brand new core student and uh, Gary Renard came to my area in Massachusetts. And I saw that And I had just finished Disappearance of the Universe. So I I thought I would go see Gary Renard. And when I was driving there, uh, I heard the guidance uh, not to say anything to anyone while I was there. Um, And in fact, I even felt my mouth kind of this sounds a little crazy, but you know I had some crazy mystical experiences in the beginning. I kind of felt my mouth disappear, like the fore the skin up top, and the skin on the bottom kind of grew together like I couldn't have opened my mouth if I want to and so I went to this retreat, and I didn't speak to anybody except one time I asked where the bathroom was. that was it. <laughs> I didn't speak to anybody, uh, but I remember at lunch since I was not speaking to anybody, one of the things I decided to do was to go sit under this tree and meditate. Um, and I remember that, and I hadn't meditated yet. But really I really was very, very, very new to this. So, this was my first time going to meditate. And I remember I closed my eyes, and it was very easy for me that day to go directly into the stillness. I was probably almost perfectly still, you know, in the mind. But I remember having the feeling that if I would hold as still as possible in the mind, just stay real still that something was working on me. That was my feeling. That if I just allowed myself to be really, really still, that it something was working on me and that it was actually rearranging my brain and reprogramming my brain. And my job was just to be very, very still and let it happen.
1: And I have never
0: lost that sense after that. That's the first time it happened. I've never lost that sense. There's this sense... That when I'm really still, whether I'm sitting in contemplation or sitting in meditation, or even if I'm just sitting staring out the window, but not thinking, being still, that every time I'm still, I'm allowing, we'll give it a name, we'll call it grace. I'm allowing grace to work on me. That when I'm really active in my mind, I'm not allowing grace to work on me. You know, then I'm in control, right? But when I'm being still, I'm letting it do what it will to me. And, and it's waking me up. You know, it's reprogramming my brain in the way my brain needs to be reprogrammed in order for me to continue to wake up. So, if I never take those opportunities to be still, if I'm always in control of my thinking, <laughs> you know, always up here thinking, um, it, it doesn't, grace doesn't get to do what grace is meant to do. So, it's very important that I take that time every day. Whether I'm reading a sentence and then just sitting and being with the sentence or whether I'm doing awareness, watching awareness, or to be absolutely honest, I think even if I'm just staring out the window, looking, watching the wind blow the grass, you know, but being still, not thinking about the day, then grace is able to bring me along. George, go ahead.
1: Uh, For me, the most influential thing you ever said, that is for me at least, was that all these books, all these retreats, all these webinars, everything is the whole purpose of all that is to drive you to practice. Hmm. And that sounds like part of what's going on here. And I just wanted to say it because it was so important to me. It changed everything I do. You know, I stopped looking for truth in words and started spending much more time in contemplation and meditation.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Thank you for bringing that back. Is there anything else that anyone wants to say before we actually I think I'll read each of these quotes again and then move on, but
1: anything anybody wants to say before I do that.
0: Okay, then I'm going to read Nizargadatta Maharaj from uh, Seven Steps to Awakening number 95. I love this quote. You know, certain quotes become like your favorites when you've read these quotes over and over again and this is one of my favorites. Some events purify the mind and some stain it. Moments of deep insight and all embracing love purify the mind, while desires and fears, envies and anger. Blind beliefs and intellectual arrogance pollute and dull the psyche. Now, even right there in that sentence, I can I can hear what I just said, right? I talked about trying to be in control of your own mind. But you know, when you're all caught up in your desires, in your fears, he says, in your envies, in your anger, in your blind beliefs, you know, like, I think this is true. And those could be spiritual beliefs, political beliefs, any kind of beliefs, right? Your intellectual arrogance, how much you know. He says that pollutes and dulls the psyche. What I said was that doesn't allow grace to do its job. You see how it's the same thing? You're blocking grace out, right? When you're, when you're all caught up in, in your own mind, you're blocking grace out. So some events purify the mind and some stain it. This is the way he words it. I didn't say necessarily that it stained it. I just said, don't allow it to improve, <laughs> don't allow it to change You say stuck there. But some events purify the mind and some stain it. Moments of deep insight and all-embracing love purify the mind. While desires and fears, envies and anger, blind beliefs and intellectual arrogance pollute and dull the psyche. So back to Regina Don Akers. Devotion purifies the mind by pulling it into the heart. Therefore, time spent in devotion each day is valuable to awakening. Allow this most precious time each day. Reduce to elimination time spent in ego-feasting activities, such as meaningless conversational chatter, and meaningless mind-wandering, or mind and personality focus. Ego-feasting activities go counter to awakening, and so they are not wanted now. And I do remember going through a period of time where, and, and this probably took a couple of years, I don't remember exactly, but it wasn't fast, um, where I was actively learning not to join in the conversations that my friends were involved in. I was still with my friends, but I was actively learning not to join in those conversations. I was learning to be with people without being like people.
1: So it's probably
0: around the time I was writing this. So the next one that I have circled is number 98. Ninety-eight, Nisargadatta Maharaj says, Too much analysis leads you nowhere. <laughs> there is in you the core of being, which is beyond analysis, beyond the mind. Again, too much analysis leads you nowhere. There is in you the core of being, which is beyond analysis, Beyond the mind. So out of the stillness, number 98. This is a little long.
1: Analysis comes from
0: thinking. It is based on past false perceptions that are believed to have valuable meaning now. However, because these perceptions are based on a false idea of who I am and what is true, They are absolutely confused. Any decision based on absolute confusion is absolutely confused. It only continues the propagation of untrue ideas and perceptions as if they were true. The proper response to any perceived dilemma is... Forget all seeming knowledge based on past learning and past experience. If necessary, look at the mind and see those mistaken ideas first. When it is seen clearly that the ideas are based on past false ideas about who I am and what is true, drop them out of a desire to know only truth. If future ideals or desired outcomes did not fall away automatically, look again to see what past knowledge is still being seen as meaningful. When the deluded past is fully disregarded, future ideals evaporate because they are based on seeming knowledge acquired through believing deluded ideas. Once mistaken knowledge is released and false ideals fall away, Check current moment heart with intuitive feeling and listen there. Sounds like a recipe I wrote for myself. (laughs) It's a pretty good recipe. Um, And so, funny thing is, let me tell you how different my experience is now from whatever it was then. When I was reading the first part of this, I'll show you how far I read. When I was reading this part, analysis comes from thinking, it is based on false perceptions that are believed to have valuable meaning now. However, because these perceptions are based on a false idea of who I am and what is true, they're absolutely confused. When I was reading those sentences, I was trying to remember what analysis was and what I used it for.
1: I couldn't even remember. Isn't that funny? I
0: was like, What is analysis? And when I got to this sentence that said any decision based on absolute confusion is absolutely confused, then I remembered, oh, yeah. If I was faced with a problem, I used to use analysis to try to figure out the right answer. But I didn't even remember that until I got to that sentence that mentioned the word decision. I was literally like analysis. What did I, what was that for? What did I do with that? Like I couldn't even remember. So that's how far away you can get from it, (laughs) right? That you can't even remember what it was.
1: Isn't that amazing? Um, And
0: I only know in a very high-level way, like I still can't remember specifically using analysis. I only know in a high-level way that when I had problems, I, I tried thinking about potential solutions and potential outcomes and figure out what the best one was. I kind of, you know, I kind of know that was the old formula, right? And that's probably the typical formula. But here's where I wrote myself a new formula and I've used this new formula enough that I don't, I couldn't even remember what analysis was. So let's look at this new formula. It says the proper response to any perceived dilemma is, right? So anytime you think you have a challenge, this is the proper response. First, forget all seeming knowledge based on past learning and past experience. Just forget everything that you've learned in the past because you know what? This isn't the past, this is now, right? So just forget everything. And if you can't do that, it says, if necessary, which really means if you can't just forget the past, if necessary, then look at the mind and see those mistaken ideas first. You know, so, uh, and this is what I taught all last week. And I mentioned it last night or not last night, Sunday night. I mentioned it as well. What this looks like is if, if you know, I'm trying to figure out the answer to a problem, And I still think that I can figure this out, that the wisdom is somewhere in my mind, in my thoughts. Well, what I would do is I would write out all of those thoughts. All the thoughts that are in my mind that that appear to be a part of the analysis, right? And then I would look at those thoughts And I would ask sometimes very simple, simple questions like, um, you know, one of the questions I taught at the retreat last week was fact, belief, or imagination. Just that. This thought here, is this a fact? Is this a belief? Or is this just imagination? And if you do that, when you think you have a problem you have to solve, (laughs) and all these thoughts are spinning in your mind, if you write them out and you just ask that one question, you'll be shocked. How many of them are just imagination? People were last week. You'll be shocked. You'll realize, you know, this talk calls it confusion. You'll realize that you are just listening to all this made up crap in the mind and you're trying to make a decision based on made up crap in the mind. It's pretty easy to see that doesn't make much sense. So you can actually just scratch all those thoughts out. And, you know, I, I remember I used to say to my, myself, I had kind of this image when I was doing that, that I was like a judge on a bench. And I was able to, by doing this type of inquiry, I was able to be the judge and say whether something was admissible in court or not. Admissible in court meant it does apply to the decision that I'm trying to make, or it it really doesn't apply. Like this thought has nothing to do with this decision. It's not admissible in court. That's just a game I played because you know me, I did all this stuff by playing games. (laughs) So when I would ride them out and then I would play this game of is this admissible in court or not? I found that almost every thought in the mind was not admissible in court. Right? It was pure imagination. Or it was, um, you know, based on a past experience that didn't really apply here. Or it was based on the false belief that I'm a loser, you know, or, 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 or uh, that fear can protect me or some other false belief. You know, I could just look at everything once it was written down and see that thought doesn't count. That has nothing to do with this. That thought doesn't count. It doesn't have anything to do with this. And delete almost all of the thoughts. And in fact last week in the retreat I taught a few different inquiries that people could do and uh what was really interesting is when people wrote out their thoughts and they practiced these inquiries and and saw the ones that didn't apply the guidance became pretty easy to see. There was often one thought that was one one thought that wasn't discounted. Right? And they're like, "Oh, well then I guess that's what I should do." You know? So, you know, one of the things I really wanted to impress upon people last week is that in order to be really successful at transcending the ego mind, you need to be writing your thoughts down and inquiring into them. Otherwise, they're just up here and you're listening to them as if they're wisdom. So, you know, this is that same thing again. If necessary, look at the mind and see those mistaken ideas first. When it is seen clearly that the ideas are based on past false ideas about who I am and what is true, drop them out of a desire to know only truth. So first, get rid of all the thoughts in the mind that think they have something to do with this problem, and it's really just a bunch of garbage, right? After that, notice I gave myself a test. It says, if future ideals or desired outcomes did not fall away, In other words, if I still think that there's a desired outcome here that's the right answer, I still got something else going in the mind I need to look at. Because when I truly let go of all of my false believing, all of my belief that my mind is wisdom, that my past experience is somehow guidance about the future, when I let go of all that, my attachment to what happens is also going to go. I'm going to be able to step into that trust, which is a pure trust. It's not trusting something specific, right? It's not trusting that I will get the money or trusting that he will like me or trusting anything at all. It's just trusting that whatever happens is perfect. It's a, it's a non-specific trust. So if I still have any future ideals or any outcomes that I think are the best solution here, then I still have stuff in my mind that needs to be looked at. That's the test, right? I haven't stepped
1: into that non-specific
0: trust yet. So if future ideals or desired o- outcomes did not fall away automatically, look again, right? How st- I still have more mind stuff to look at. Look again to see what past knowledge is still being seen as meaningful. Look again. When the deluded past is fully disregarded, future ideals evaporate because they are based on seeming knowledge acquired through believing diluted ideas. So I know that I've let go of everything in my mind that isn't true that needs to be let go when I also don't have a desired outcome. Any desired outcome is based on thinking I know something, right? Any desired outcome is based on thinking I know something. Only when I have no desired outcomes can I clearly say that I let go of all of the false thoughts in the mind that I had given value to. Once mistaken knowledge is released and false ideas fall away, only then. Listen to this. Once mistaken knowledge is released and false ideas fall away. So only when I don't have a desired outcome anymore, right? Then check current moment heart with intuitive feeling and listen there.
1: You know, one of the things that we also talked about last
0: week in the retreat was, um, and I was surprised, I was actually surprised how many people had this misperception, to be honest, you know, because a lot of these people I could tell had been listening to me for years. I know them. They've been listening to me for years. And I know I've said this a million times, but it wasn't really heard by a lot of them till last week. I was surprised how many people thought that when they're confused and they don't know what to do, they should ask God or or Holy Spirit or whatever you want to call it for guidance. Like if I'm confused and I'm not sure which job to take, I should ask God which job to take. Do you know I've never taught that? Not
1: only that, I've never practiced that. Never. Never.
0: Now, where the confusion might have come from is in the teachings of Inner Romana. It says to always ask, what am I to do now? What am I to do now? But that's an open, what am I to do now? That's not a which job am I to take? That's not a should I stay with my husband or leave my husband? It's, it's completely different. Whenever we ask, I'm just going to use the word God. Whenever we ask God for guidance about a specific dilemma, It is because we still think a certain outcome will make us happy and another outcome will not, or a certain outcome will make us safe or another outcome will not. Otherwise, we wouldn't be asking. So what that means is we're asking for guidance before we've completed this recipe.
1: What this recipe says is,
0: let go, let go, let go until anything that happens is okay, until you don't have a desired outcome, right? I mean, you're trusting whatever is. When you get to that point, then you can ask, what am I to do now? What's my guidance here? So I was shocked at how many people thought they should be asking for guidance when they were still attached to confusion in the mind.
1: So let me be clear. If you are asking for guidance about a specific situation, you are still caught up in false believing. Your job then is only to let go.
0: And I've shared this story before, but I'll just share it again because it's a, it's a pretty strong example. And I won't share all of it. It would take too long. But there was a time when there was a conflict within Awakening Together that was so strong, it had the power or it appeared to have the power to take Awakening Together down completely to where the organization would cease to exist. And there was even one person involved in this conflict who I don't know where his ideas... Came from, but he had ideas about me that didn't even have an inkling of truth in them. You know, sometimes you can see where people are exaggerating something, or maybe they misheard something, but these things were just pure BS. And he was writing to the board of directors, telling them that I was a fake and telling them all this stuff that I really do that they don't know about. And I knew, I knew, I knew that if anybody believed him at all, plus you have this whole conflict around it, that it was possible that awakening together would just end. It would just implode. Like this was the end of it. And so I did nothing. I didn't respond to a single email. And this went on for weeks. I did not respond to a single email on this topic. I just did nothing. And I trusted that however this was going to turn out was how it was supposed to turn out, even if awakening together ceased to exist. And of course, as you can tell, it it didn't. in fact, there's not even an end to that story that I remember. Just eventually it all just kind of fizzled out. You know, it came and it went. You know, I mean, that's like the end of the story. It just fizzled out at some point. So, but if I had been inside asking for guidance, what do I need to do to make sure awakening together, you know, survives
1: this? You see, I would have been attached.
0: So, again, I use that example because it's so poignant. You can probably understand how the founder, the president, minister, and the one who's earning her salary, right? So her whole family survives, might want awakening together to continue. <laughs> but I just stayed out of it. That's what this formula teaches. If you want anything, uh, then all you should be doing is looking at your mind. If you want anything, then all you should be doing is looking at your mind. That's a pretty clear message. All right, uh, Melissa, we only have three minutes. So if you can uh, get to it quickly
4: okay I think I can um, I, I earlier I, was, I made you know it was a joke but it's so true everything I do is from my ego you know even being here every time I speak up um, And so I'm just hoping that some of it is guiding me to to the most honest truth to and I'm hoping that my truth and desire my desire for truth gets stronger every time right um, And so my thought about sharing this is, just in the hopes of creating that strong desire for wanting truth more than I want anything else. Yeah. Uh, So my son's got a, they're trying to find a place to live in Bellingham. None of them have an apartment. They haven't figured it out all year. School starts in two weeks. There's this huge process to apply for apartments where all of them need co-signers. So our collective group of kids and their parents had to put in 400 bucks just to apply for apartment one apartment. And I'm just, you know, it's beyond me, but what I'm getting to here is once I've, once everything that could be done is done, meaning I follow the motivations and the urges and let go of worrying about what to do and how to do it, then all of a sudden that was the best I could do. And now it's done. So it's handed over. And I I think that's, if I could just live like that all the time, I feel like that's sort of what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. And you want to hear something funny? I don't know why this is true, but it is true. This is the third time I've heard this story, this in the last few weeks. And of course, not from her. I'm talking about I've heard from three different parents, this exact same story. So it's like the way things are going this year. I don't know why. And I can tell you that the previous two, their school must have started earlier because it's already worked out. So yeah. whatever this pattern is, you know,
4: <laughs> to work out. I mean, yeah. he's like. Worst comes to worst, there's a little blackberry bush there. I got a white (laughs) (laughs) badge.
0: All right. Well, thank you. And one thing I want to tell you all, uh, this is not my last teaching. I am not quitting. But I will not be back till September 21st, which is three weeks away. Uh, Next week is Helen Hamilton. So that's why I won't be here next week. And then the week after that, I'm actually leading a retreat at the retreat house. So the 21st is the next Wednesday. That's when I will be back. All right. Okay, good. I'll see you all then. Bye.